are in. There's also lurking below the surface this matter of sex. So our special guest today, Dr. Julie Slattery, who has joined us so many times over the past 27 years, has written another one of these R-rated books. Now, it's a relationship-related book, but it also has to do with God, with our marriages, and with sex. And so today on Viewpoint, just beware, this is, shall we say, an R-rated program. And so if you have young kids hanging around, you might want to uh, be aware of what we're going to be talking about here today, because we talk very frankly here on this program. We don't talk in risque fashion, but we talk in real fashion. And so I'm delighted that you've joined us. Did you know that from the beginning of the book, Genesis chapter 2, to the end of the book, Genesis chapter 20, uh, Revelation chapter 22, God has repeatedly framed his view of his kingdom purposes and plan around marriage. Did you know that? He begins with forming the first marriage, and he says, what I've joined together, let not man put asunder. And then he concludes by talking about the great marriage supper of the Lamb, in which all who are true followers or married to Christ, truly married to Christ and remain faithful to him, are going to be welcome in that great wedding supper of the Lamb of God. Isn't it interesting that the Bible always and continually relates marriage and sex to our faithfulness to God? So this is not just a fleshly thing that we're talking about here. In fact, it is a faith thing that we're talking about. And that's why Dr. Julie Slattery has presented this fascinating book to us here today that we're going to be talking about. She says sexual intimacy is a challenge for many couples, but what if you and I are working from the wrong understanding of what makes a great sex life? Julie, it's good to have you back on the program. Thanks so much for having me on, and thanks for that great introduction and setup to what we're going to talk about today. Well, you've been doing this for a very long time, and uh, give us your backstory on how in the world you ended up uh, being kind of the uh, uh, gospel marriage counselor and uh, a sex advisor out there. Right. This was not my original plan, for sure. Uh, Chuck, my training is in psychology, so uh, for my whole adult life, I've been in ministry helping people navigate marriage and family issues, Mm -hmm. but it's only been within the last decade that God specifically called me to address sexuality uh, and to help people navigate Mm -hmm. the questions that they're asking and uh, the pain that they're navigating, but also just help the church understand um, God's plan for sexuality and how we can reclaim that in a culture that has really experienced such distortion around everything related to sexuality. This matter of sexuality is so pervasive in our culture today. There's nothing, virtually nothing hidden. It's all out there, and it's becoming more blatant by the day. Uh, You can't turn on even the most standard news program without being uh, faced Uh, with ever more risque expressions of sexuality. And uh, is this this something that God would favor 
to make light of sexuality in this way, or is this actually berating uh, God's view of sexuality? Well, you know, I definitely believe scripturally that God created sex to be sacred, that it has a sacred meaning, as you mentioned at the top of the show, to, sh- to really demonstrate to us the nature of his covenant love. Uh, and so what culture is doing with sexuality is uh, a distortion at every level. And I really believe that the enemy is behind that. Like he, he loves to distort what God has made as good. Uh, but I, I'd say that the positive is we're being forced to talk about sex more than we ever have done in the Christian church in the past. Uh-huh. And uh, the Bible is not silent on this topic. No, It is at times very graphic, both in a positive and negative way related to sexuality. But we've inherited a tradition within the church that we don't talk honestly and openly about these topics. And so I think the one thing that has come out of what's happening in culture that is positive is we're being forced to talk very specifically about sexuality and search the scriptures for a deeper theology of sexuality so that we have a response to what we're experiencing in culture and in our own lives. Well, there's no question about it. The culture is not uh, a friend of Christ. Uh, The culture is becoming ever more debauched uh, to the point where even Vladimir Putin seven years ago came out and made a declaration that from his perspective, Russia had become the moral center of the world. And Mm -hmm. then he began to demean America and the West, the uh, resurrected Roman Empire, the Western world, as becoming ever more debaucherous. uh, And he was going to protect Russia Orthodox Russia from uh, the salaciousness of America and the West. What do you make of that? Yeah. Um, I'm not a big fan of Vladimir Putin, but that's one thing. I think he's got a point there. Sometimes (laughs) I read read the book of Revelation, and I don't know that it's a direct correlation, but it talks about this Babylon that exports its immorality to the whole world. And I don't know if that's in reference to America. I don't, but Mm -hmm. I do feel like in some ways that's a great description because we've gotten to the place where we export sexual immorality through media to the whole world. And uh, that is really a tragedy. And we see it impacting our culture on so many levels, including the, the skyrocket rocketing levels of uh, depression and anxiety and loneliness mm-hmm. and sexually transmitted diseases, um, rape and sexual assault, pornography. Even monkeypox. Really, yes. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> they're, they're, they're just all kinds of waves and waves of us experiencing the fallout of of trying to separate sex from what God intended it to be. In fact, the and, whole uh, battle over Roe versus Wade and abortion is about your view of marriage and sex, isn't it? It's certainly rooted in it. Uh, you know, abortion and birth control really became issues when uh, when we began separating sex from procreation. It became recreational, mm. and now it's gone beyond recreational, and it's really become a cornerstone of identity and expression. Mm. 
Uh, and so we can look at what's happening in our world uh, and be angry, but I think we also have to have compassion for those who are in the wake of all this. All right. We'll be back talking about this in a moment. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint, friends. I'm Chuck Chris Myers. Conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms, and I trust today will be no exception. We're probing deeply, a little more deeply, into our own personal lives and our thinking uh, here today, our families, our heritage, background, and so on, as it relates to the matter of sex. And uh, they say that sex sells. Well, I'm not so sure that that's what we're about here today on Viewpoint. Uh, Sex may sell, but the way we talk about it may not. It depends upon your viewpoint. And so today, we want to take a look at this matter of sex from God's viewpoint. You see, man's viewpoint doesn't matter. It doesn't count. Because the only thing that really counts is the creator's viewpoint. So what the culture has to say about it, or what your favorite uh, uh, prognosticator has to say about it really doesn't matter. Even what the Pope himself has to say about it ultimately doesn't matter. In fact, we saw a glaring example of that just this week, where the Pope decided to bless that which one of the archbishops of the Roman Catholic Church decided was not worthy of communion. Hmm. So much for the whole idea of covenant, my friends. So our guest today, Julie, Dr. Julie Slattery, says that one of the things that uh, we need to really look at to help set the stage contextually for our view of sex is our own backstory. And everybody has a backstory, don't they, Julie? We all do, yeah. We don't come to this conversation with a blank slate. Uh, we don't come to marriage with a blank slate. We've right. learned through experiences and teaching how to think about our sexuality, and that plays into how we navigate these issues within marriage. Well, I want to qualify you as an expert witness here because, as you probably remember, I am a trial lawyer of 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't been mm-hmm. doing that for 30, but uh, still have it <laughs> in my blood. And we need to qualify an expert witness. So uh, how long have you been married? I've been married for almost 28 years. Uh-huh. And uh, you have some children? We have three grown sons. Mm-hmm. Well, it is so good. Uh, you've been around the horn a long time. Uh, I, I noticed also that you uh, have a, a, a deep relationship with uh, the well-known Booty, Moody Bible Institute. What's that all about? I do, yeah. I've uh, published a number of books with Moody, but I've also served on their board of trustees now for a number of years. So I love what Moody does. And you're president and co-founder of Authentic Intimacy. Is there any other kind of intimacy? 
Yeah, unfortunately, I think there's artificial intimacy mm-hmm. or counterfeit intimacy. But yeah, what we're going for is the real thing. All right. So when we talk about this backstory business, there are phrases that come to mind like casual sex, sexually active, porn, uh, all of these kinds of things, or uh, maybe having been uh, abused as a child. Uh, how do these things fit into our view now of sex from God's viewpoint? Yeah, they really set a framework for how we think about sex, how we define what a healthy sex life is supposed to look like. Uh, you know, I really think that most of us are coming to this conversation with one or two, one of two narratives of sexuality or mm-hmm. stories that help explain why sexuality matters. The first one is the secular culture's narrative, which says that sex is really important because it's a key identity marker. It's how you experience happiness in this world. And so you have to be free to explore and experiment and find what makes you sexually fulfilled. And, of course, we see that narrative playing out in conversations all the time in culture with sex. But what I think we don't realize is how much it impacts our thinking of marriage. Uh, So there are a lot of Christian couples who, for example, feel like if they are not attracted to each other, then their sex life is broken. Or if they're not compatible, then maybe they should divorce and marry somebody else that's more compatible. And that really is coming from a a cultural view of sex that's inaccurate. It's being fed by pornography that tells you that you are a consumer of sex, even Hmm. in your marriage. Uh And so when you're not satisfied, uh, you should look somewhere else. And, And so that's the first narrative that I think influences our backstory. And then the second narrative is kind of the traditional church narrative that is based on some biblical teaching, but but really expands it to where we think about sex as something that uh, is dirty or is always laced with shame. It's all about following the rules and not making God mad. Uh, And we have a hard time getting over sexual sin from our past. Uh, We have a hard time experiencing freedom in the marriage relationship or really understanding why God would create this to be pleasurable. And, and so, I, you know, I really, as I've worked with, with individuals and couples over the last decade, I've found that most of us have some mixture of those two narratives. And so we're really confused about how we address problems if, if our framework for sex has been distorted by those narratives. Yeah. Well, certainly God wants Uh, us to be holy. He says, be ye therefore holy, for I, the Lord your Mm -hmm. God, am holy. Jesus said, be ye therefore perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. So God does want us to walk in perfection. He wants us to walk in holiness. In fact, the Bible says that without holiness, no man will even see the Lord. On the other hand, we're all sinners. Mm -hmm. We're all sinners, and we need a Savior. So that brings up an interesting point that a lot of people, I think, are concerned, uh, confused about. And that is the idea that, for instance, the Apostle Paul talks very pointedly about sexual distortion, sexual perversion, uh, sexual infidelity, and its consequences. And he says, don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor practicing homosexuals are going to inherit the kingdom of God. He makes it very, very plain there in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 
So people will say, okay, well, are you saying that sex is the unpardonable sin? Are you saying that fornication is the unpardonable sin? Are you saying that adultery is the unpardonable sin? No, he didn't say that. He said, don't be deceived. If you practice these things, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. So it seemed to me, Julie, that the issue is not whether we can be forgiven, but whether we're going to keep practicing those things. In other words, we have to recognize that it was sin, and it separates us from God, and if we don't recognize that, we're in deep trouble. Right, yeah. And, you know, I think a helpful shift in our thinking is to move from the concept of sexual purity to the concept of sexual integrity. And I think what Paul is really saying there, he's not he's not saying, you know, take the purity pledge. If you ever make a mistake, you've given up something that can never be restored. What he's saying well, is... Well, your virginity cannot be restored. We know that. Right, it cannot, but our By definition. purity doesn't come. But our purity does not come through our virginity. Our purity comes through our relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay. Uh, the endowed righteousness of Christ. And this is the and reason why Paul, the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians again, I am preparing you as a chaste virgin for Christ. Yet absolutely. they weren't chaste at all. But if you continue to read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, what Paul is saying is if you are in Christ, walk with integrity. Realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells there. Mm-hmm. And you you lack integrity if you say you are a Christ follower and you engage in the things of the world, okay. including sexual sin. Exactly. Okay. And so, yeah. And so integrity is. If you you be true to who you say you are, you be true to the fact that you're a new creation in Christ. And I think this call to integrity is actually much more profound than when we just talk about purity. Okay. Uh, because integrity I think that's also, a good point. That's a very good integrity, point. Integrity also means that I take Jesus at his word when he says your sins are forgiven. It, it, isn't, it isn't walking with integrity as a Christian. If you continue to hold shame over yourself, it isn't integrity as a Christian either on the other side of that same coin to continue to practice your sexual impurity and claim that you're one with Christ. Absolutely. That lacks integrity. Exactly. Okay. Now that brings up uh, another aspect of this. uh, And I want to get these out of the way before you and I dig a little more deeply into the real purposes behind your book here. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people have a big problem with seeing how much God uh, and Jesus and the Apostle Paul uh, have talked about sex and the seriousness with which God talks about sex. He doesn't play games. He uses it as a metaphor uh, for why he actually walked away from Israel. Mm-hmm. And so people will say, well, are you saying that sex is the unpardonable sin? Are you saying that sex is a worse sin than other sins? The answer to that, I think, and I, I, I'm going to give you my take and then, and then you can respond. I think what he's actually saying is, look, 
The reason I have to bring this up so much is because it goes deeply into the whole, my whole purpose, God says, of a covenantal relationship with your spouse and with me. You mess with that, and you've messed with the foundation of my kingdom purposes. That's one reason why it's so serious. And the other reason is because sexual sin is so contagious and metastasizes through the body of Christ like a desperate virus. What do you think? Yeah, I would agree with you. And you know, absolutely, there's nowhere that says that sexual sin is the unpardonable sin. Uh, as a matter of fact, when we read in Proverbs the seven things that God hates, uh, he lists seven things and then an eighth, and none of them have to do with sexual sin. Isn't and that so interesting? I think, yeah, you know, it's people that are divisive and, and feet that are quick to shed innocent blood. And pride. And, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I think we have to talk about this in balance of we are all sinners. Christ died to redeem us from all sin. But sexual sin has unique consequences. It does. Uh, and this is what Paul says in First Corinthians 6, that when, you're sin- when you sin sexually, you're sinning against your own body. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. And in Romans chapter 1, it talks about that we experience the result uh, of our sin in our own bodies. And it leads to a reprobate mind. It, it, well, I think the this, this sexual sin comes out of a reprobate mind. <laughs> I agree and, with that, too. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think it's what Paul is saying in Romans 1 is that when you stop worshiping the Creator, your society will, will fold into relational and sexual chaos. Uh, and that's what we see, unfortunately, happening in our country. Uh, but, but I do think we need to keep going back to the fact that Jesus Christ came to redeem all brokenness. And without a doubt, there are those listening who have uh, have had a struggle with pornography, have cheated on their spouse, uh, have had a promiscuous past, have had an abortion. I, and I just want to tell you that. Jesus's blood covers that. If you and repent confess and confess sin, it, it and turn from Right. When we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive there us our go. sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then he says, now walk with integrity. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And so the journey of maturity is how do I walk every day with greater and greater integrity in my sexuality and every other aspect of what it, of my life. All right. God doesn't forget those things, neither do we, but he doesn't hold them against us. He will remember them against us no more if we walk in repentance, and that's the message of the good news of the gospel. Now, before before we go further, uh, and we're going to dig a lot more deeply into the real reasons now why uh, Dr. Julie Slattery is presenting this book to us, We've laid a foundation generally because these are the things that people think about. God's sex and your marriage, I think, is going to be very helpful to an awful lot of people. $14 is going to put this $16 book in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. If you're writing a check, add 
$5 for postage and handling, and we'll get it in your hands. She says you can't do sex right in your marriage until you think about sex correctly in your marriage. Think about that until we get back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a for pastors only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Also on Chuck's website, listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast. Listen to the archives. Maybe you missed a program. Check it out at saveus.org. Also, there are some great resources, hospitality information, also information about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, newsletters, articles, prophecy, prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org. The beautiful story of sexuality has been repeatedly distorted to the point where many can't identify what it was originally created to represent. And that includes many professing Christians, if not even most. One of the reasons for that is the cultural environment. We're swimming in a fleshly cesspool, and the thickness of the flesh is becoming ever gross out there, and it's very difficult to swim as a Christian amid that kind of uh, cesspool. So we need to understand in a deeper way what God is looking for in terms of our marriages, in terms of sex, in terms of uh, walking in holiness and in righteousness, without which no man will see the Lord, even as it relates to sex. Now, Julie... Back in the 1970s, I believe it was, there was a music group, most people are familiar with it, and they sang a song that said, I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction, but I tried and I tried and I tried. Sounds like porn to me. Isn't that an expression of porn? Yes, I think it is. Um, you know, the way that porn, if porn is designed, it gives you satisfaction very temporarily. Yeah. And then, and then it makes you seek something, uh, something even more vile. Exactly. And get satisfaction the the more time. porn you get, the less satisfied you are. That is true. And then yep. you become it less really and less satisfied with your spouse. Right. Your spouse can't compete with it. Okay. So, porn doesn't ask anything from you, you say. In other words, you're not really giving anything. You're just taking. Right. Mm -mm -mm. So, how does that affect our view of sex in marriage then? Because the unfortunate statistics are that somewhere around 70-plus percent of professing Christian men admit to being involved in pornography and have been for the past 25, 30 years. And about 30-some percent of America's pastors 
admit that this is a major problem in their life. Mm-hmm. And somewhere around 34% of Christian women also admit to seeking out pornography. How in the world can we have holy, committed covenantal relationships with the Lord or our spouses amid this curse upon us? Yeah, we really can't as long as the pornography remains. Uh, and the, as always, there's an invitation to, uh, to repent from that and to seek the kind of healing you need. And with pornography, because of the way it rewires the brain, it really, for many people, does become an addiction where they're going to need some very serious help in addressing that pattern to get free of it. But you asked the question, how does it impact marriage? Yeah. And it really trains you from even a neurological level to approach sex with the expectation that I need to get uh, my desires met and I deserve to get my desires met. When we talk about sexual love and what God created it to be, there's a mutuality. There's there's a giving that's required. Uh, There's self-control and kindness and gentleness required. And pornography really wires your sexual response so that you're, you're almost incapable of engaging in a way sexually that allows you to be focused on your spouse. Uh, and so it, it really sabotages the journey of intimacy until you get serious about addressing it within your life and within your marriage. Let me ask you a question, Julie. Uh, after all of your years writing books, being on the air and so on in ministry, uh, you're really dealing primarily with professing Christians, aren't you? Yeah, yep. Pretty much. And yeah. just, just like when I was practicing law, 80% of my clientele came from the broader body of Christ. Yeah. They said they wanted a Christian lawyer, but not so much. Because mm-hmm. the moment you gave them genuine biblical and Christian counsel, all of a sudden, well, that's not what I had in mind. Yeah. I thought you would agree with me and just tell me what I wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. Do you have the same problem? You know, I'm sure that there are some people that walk away from the resources that we create for that reason, but we engage with so many people who just want help. Okay. Uh, you know, I've met so many Christians who say, I know pornography is wrong. I don't want to keep looking at it. I don't want it to keep sabotaging our marriage, but I need help. I need help. In getting All right. Free. So what kind of help can you offer to someone who has already injected virtually an eternal memory of all of these antics in their mind and heart, and they're bringing that to the marriage bed. Yeah, well, what kind of help I can offer is bring them to the healer himself. I I really believe that there's nothing beyond the redemptive healing power of Jesus, and I've seen it. I've seen that when we become accountable, when we bring things into the light instead of keeping them in the darkness, and when we put our trust in him and we strive to to get God's thinking uh, instead of the lies we're believing, God heals. I've seen him heal marriages from pornography addictions and infidelity. I've seen him heal people from the deepest levels of trauma. And so the help isn't what I offer. It's really just uh, presenting 
what the, that road to healing looks like in terms of integrating the love of Christ into our wounds. Um, and, you know, I think that's a message that is often lacking in the church. We talk about what's wrong, but we're not giving people the steps to get out of darkness so that they can experience freedom. You make a number of very interesting statements, and I, I, I like the way you phrase uh, so many things. You get right to it and cut to the chase. God not only calls you to sexual morality, but he also wants to grow you in sexual maturity. What does that mean? Well, what it means is there can be a Christian couple that is following all the rules. They're not cheating on each other. They're not looking at pornography. But their sexual love has just been stale. Uh, There's bitterness and resentment because they're not getting their needs met and they blame each other. In other Um, words, I can't get no satisfaction. Right. They don't know how to communicate. (laughs) They don't know how to talk about sex. Uh Um, They don't know how to be kind with each other and help each other heal. And I would say that that's a couple that is following the rules and they think, okay, I'm pleasing God with my sexuality, but God is saying, no, like, I want to inhabit the fullness of your life in every area, including sexuality, so that your your character is becoming more like me on this journey. You're learning to love each other more the way I love you on this journey, including in our sexual relationship. It's interesting because you say that purity messages fail to give uh Christian married couples a vision for what it really means to honor God with their sexuality, that sexual wholeness involves far more than just avoiding sin. Now, you did mention this business of purity and said maybe we should rather talk about integrity, that if we claim to be Mm -hmm. followers of Christ, then we follow uh, Christ's call to be pure, to be holy, to love him with a whole heart, to walk in a covenant relationship with him as expressed in our covenant relationship with our spouse. Is that a good Uh, restatement? Well, yeah, but again, it goes beyond purity. So, Chuck, let me give an example. Let's say that a wife finds out that her husband has an ongoing struggle with pornography. And so he is is lacking faithfulness. Uh, He has a sexual purity issue that he needs to deal with. Well, he's living in adultery from God's viewpoint. Right, but let's let's say her response to that, uh, you know, after she has the appropriate grief and anger, but her response is, I won't go to counseling. This is your problem. Uh, I'm going to shut down all affection. I'm going to shut down all communication and just stay in my anger for the next decade. My... My response to that would be, she's not walking in integrity either, mm-hmm. um, because God calls us to be people who are compassionate, uh, who work towards forgiveness, who work towards reconciliation, who prioritize um, intimacy and unity within the marriage. And so my point is, when we only focus on purity, we miss the call to become like Christ in every aspect of how we steward our sexuality. All right. A man who would say to his wife, you owe me sex because you're married to me, does not have the heart of Christ because Jesus would never approach us that way. Uh, he's not demanding that we meet his needs. And so I think there's a lot lacking in how we've, we've taught sexuality. Yes, we need to t- teach morality and purity, 
Mm-hmm. But there are all these other aspects of having the heart of Christ that we never talk about that I think sour our love for each other. I think you're right. You're trying to bring the bigger picture, a more, what you would say, holistic view, a genuine Christ-like, biblical, spiritual view to the entire issue. And I, I agree with that. I really do. And I've seen it uh, both in my law practice and in 35 years of uh, ministry. Uh, beyond that, I've seen it uh, everywhere. And it's true even within uh, our pastors. Uh, many mm-hmm. pastors are having exactly the same problem. In fact, H.P. London uh, former head of pastoral ministries for Focus on the Family, joined me on this program about 15 years ago. And he said, Chuck, I have to tell you that the number one problem that we have pastors uh, contacting us is pornography. Mm-hmm. The number one problem among pastors. So that yeah. means they've got serious problems in their marriages, and 70% of, of uh, pastors' wives declare that their marriages are not very good. Right. Yeah. What do you make of but that? Where do, well, where do pastors have, have to get help? You know, I really, I really believe that we all have sexual brokenness in our lives. And it looks different for different people. Mm-hmm. But why do we assume that Christian leaders don't need a place uh, to work through wounds and to confess sin and to work towards this kind of maturity. Well, good point. Your book, God, Sex, and Your Marriage, friends, a $16 book is $14 on the website, saveus.org. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Discipling in sexual intimacy. That's really what we're talking about here today on Viewpoint. Believe it or not, you might not think of this in terms of discipleship, but discipleship, from God's viewpoint, is teaching people to obey everything He's commanded and to do it from His perspective. That's the essence of the Great Commandment. That's the essence of the Great Commandment. It's not evangelism. It's teaching people to obey everything that God has commanded and within that to understand and agree with his viewpoint from the heart of all that God is looking for in our relationships. It's about a covenant relationship with God and with our spouse, isn't it, Julie? Are you there, Julie? I'm here. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't catch the question. Yeah, I just said, isn't it, Julie? 
It is absolutely. You have summarized it so well, um, and it's it's so key to keep going back to that as our perspective and our framework. This is about honoring God in every area, not just our actions, but letting Him invade every aspect of our lives and our hearts. All right. Now you have uh, set up four pillars. Uh, we have four pillars supporting this radio program uh, that we mm-hmm. talk about periodically. And you have four pillars here for sexual intimacy uh, from God's viewpoint. Uh, give us a, a, a thumbnail sketch of these, and then we'll go back over and, and take a little more detailed look. Yeah, so these four pillars come directly from looking at how God loves his covenant people. Mm-hmm. And if sex and marriage are supposed to be modeled after that, then that's our example. And so the four pillars, the first one is faithfulness. Uh, that faithfulness is the foundation of our covenant. The second one is intimate knowing that God created us for intimate fellowship with him, deep knowing, and the same is true in the sexual relationship. Mm -hmm. The third one is sacrificial love, and that the apex of understanding God's love is the cross and that he laid himself down for us. And so that's also an ingredient in every healthy sex life is both people sacrificially loving each other. And then the fourth pillar is passionate celebration. And throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, we're commanded to celebrate, to be joyful in the Lord always. Um, And so uh, we have to understand that that is also an aspect of how God created sex, for it to be a passionate celebration of our love together. So sexual integrity, as you've described it, means that you and your spouse are going to be working toward each of these four pillars of covenant love. Right. Yes. Okay. And so, and and so that's the roadmap. All right. That's a good one too, by the way. So let's talk about faithfulness. Mm-hmm. Uh, we sing a song. Many people have sung the song. Holiness, holiness is what I long for. Holiness is what mm-hmm. I need. Then the next part of the song is faithfulness. Faithfulness is what I long for. Faithfulness is what I need. What is it? What is faithfulness yeah, anyway? I- yeah, I think when we also look at the song, like, great is thy faithfulness. Right. Uh, oh, God, our Father, like, there's no shadow of changing with you, that we trust him. He's trustworthy. And so even when times are rough, you can put your confidence and your faith in the fact that God loves you. He loves you with, in the Old Testament, it used the word said. He loves you with this this steadfast love that won't change. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I think the heart of God's faithfulness is the statement that I will never leave you or forsake you. And that essentially is, uh, is the vow that we make to each other in marriage. I will not leave you or forsake you. So the moment a married couple, any one of them uses the word divorce in a personal way in their marriage, they have already expressed their heart of unfaithfulness. Well, it, I think it depends on the context, because we have to look at the fact that God himself divorced the nation of Israel. For <laughs> Indeed he did, but he didn't remarry. Yes, That's what people forget. So, he didn't remarry. Yeah, yeah, but I think we have to look at, you know, that there, there are egregious reasons for divorce. And uh, Jesus said that Moses permitted it because the hardness of your heart, this mm. wasn't the way yeah. marriage was created to be. Exactly. Uh, but uh, but faithfulness is the commitment that we are in this marriage relationship, 
based on our character, not based on our feeling, not based on whether we're getting our needs met, but because we've made a promise. All right. So the Lordship of Feelings has been one of the great uh, uh, threats to faithfulness. Absolutely. Uh, You know, I, we, most of us enter into marriage with a contract mentality. I will stay married to you as long as you make me feel this way or you meet these needs. What God calls us instead to do is enter into marriage with a covenant mentality of, with my character, I am pledging that I will be faithful to you, forsaking all others. I will not leave you. Uh, I will work through our difficulties. And that has just been lost, I think, even within a lot of uh, Christian circles. Absolutely. Intimate knowing, that's the second pillar. Uh, Using the word knowing reminds me, uh, and Adam knew his wife. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, It's used as, as a metaphor for the sexual union. Yes, it is used throughout the Old Testament as a euphemism for sexual sexual knowing, right. but that same word yada is also used for the intimate knowing of God and his people. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and so when we read Proverbs five and six, three, five and six, it says, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean on on your own understanding and all your way yada the Lord and he will direct your path. So intimately know God. And so, uh, you know, in that language, what God is saying is I want you to know me as intimately as a husband would know his wife. If we don't uh, know God in that way, we're going to be susceptible to the ploys, the seducement of the Antichrist. That's exactly right. You know, all of Paul's letters are imploring them to know God, to know Jesus, to know the depth of his love. Uh, and it's knowing God that is at the heart of the gospel. You know, Julie, and one so of the in, things that's concerned me uh, over the years is the emphasis of Christian teaching is mostly on knowing about God, mm-hmm. not knowing him. God never commands right. us to know about him. He presumes that we know about him because even a fool would say he didn't know about God. So God presumes that we know about him. Our problem is we don't know him. It's very true. Uh, you know, one way that I distinguish between that is thinking about the difference between activity and, and intimacy. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of Christians are involved in the activities of being a Christian, like reading your Bible and serving at church, but there's no intimacy. And the activity yeah. is meant to set the table for intimacy. And I right. think that same thing happens in a sexual relationship. The focus is on the activity. What are our bodies doing? Mm-hmm. Instead of realizing that it's actually an invitation to go beyond our bodies and to share the journey of intimacy. All right. Pillar number three, sacrificial giving. Uh, mm-hmm. Christ gave to us when we were yet sinners. He died for us. Uh, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church. Women, wives, submit yourself unto your husbands as unto Christ. Both of those things require a sacrificial giving, don't they? They really do. Uh, You know, we tell single Christians all the time that they need to practice restraint with their sexual desires. And then the assumption is that once you get married, 
you never have to practice self-control again. <laughs> and that's just not true, <laughs> you know. Um, okay. <laughs> you know, God wants you to continue on that journey of maturation where you're learning, now I'm stewarding my sexual desire towards my spouse, how I can serve him, how I, how I can serve her. And, um, and we're shocked when our sex life requires some aspect of self-denial. And, uh, and we shouldn't be shocked if we look at what sex is meant to sh- teach us about. It's meant to teach us about God's love. And God's love has uh, a lot of elements to it. But one of those elements is that he gave himself for us and we deny ourselves uh, to follow him. Isn't it interesting, though, that the Apostle Paul says, yeah, you deny yourself, but you don't deny your spouse. You don't deny your spouse the sexual union unless it be by agreement and that for a short period of time because of your commitment to prayer. Right. And really to minister to each other sexually, like Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 7, will mean elements of self-denial for both people. Mm -hmm. It's not just for the person that has the lower sexual desire. It's also for the higher sex desire person who says, this is what I want, but I'm suspending what I want in the moment so that I can minister to you. And, And when that is the attitude, you really begin to develop a healthy level of intimacy. So attitude is a very big portion of sexuality. It's huge. Attitude and heart is the, a big portion of everything as a Christian. So why would it not also be critical to how we steward our sexuality within marriage? Pillar number four, passionate celebration. That starts to get kind of R-rated. Yeah, well, this is where the fun comes in. And, uh, <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's why that strange book of Song of Solomon is in the scripture because God wants us to know that part of covenant is the abandonment of, of celebrating together. He created sex to be physically pleasurable for a reason. There is a time to celebrate, and we should be pursuing that celebration regularly within our covenant of marriage. So the bottom line, uh, as you see it from God's perspective, is this is all about covenant. Covenant with God and covenant with our spouse. And that our marriage, as the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 5, is really about an expression of a relationship with Christ and the church in our own marriage. Yeah, so I use the example of a puzzle. Uh, You're putting together a puzzle, and the front of that puzzle box, the picture you're creating, is Christ's relationship with the church. And that gives you a context for how you deal with all the challenges uh, and opportunities that present themselves in the sexual relationship. All right. So take a minute or two here and just uh, from the heart address those who are listening here today who say, you know what? Uh, I know we have some difficulties in our marriage. Uh, I have some difficulties, you might say, uh, you, my husband, my wife, and so on, uh, speak from the heart to them. Yeah, I would just tell you, this is not a pass-fail test. Uh, This is a call to surrender Mm -hmm. your Mm -hmm. burdens to God. Right. And ask Him to give you the wisdom and the strength to honor Him. Uh, And that's what we do at our ministry, is just to try to help you on that journey. 
So it's not it even a like how-to expression. No. Yeah, it is. It is 100% how do we invite God into this journey? His word, his presence, his truth, his healing, his forgiveness. And watch and see how he restores this this area of your life. All right, so I'm looking at the back of Julie's book here. Do you wonder about the place of pleasure in a Christian marriage? Is good sex something every married person is entitled to? How does a, how does a history of pornography impact your sex life, and how do you recover? What is the purpose of sex when it often seems to represent frustration or pain? What if you have different sexual desires than your spouse? All of those you deal with in your book, don't you? Yeah, uh, those are the practical things that we navigate, again, with God's covenant love as our model. Well, friends, here is a tool to help, to encourage, to strengthen. Yes, among these difficult times when the world is in chaos, but internally, marriages and relationships are also in chaos. This is what we can do. You can't solve the problem with Russia and Ukraine, but you can deal with the problems in your marriage. God, sex, and your marriage. A $16 book, yours for $14. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Become a partner with us, friend. Do it today. Don't delay. We need all the help we can get, and so do you. God bless you. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home. 